I often lay in bed at night after that, trying to remember, whilst being afraid of remembering. I wanted to know what happened before the avalanche. After some days or weeks of such pondering, it suddenly dawned on me that I actually believed the avalanche had really happened and that I had died in it. The idea had moved from might have been to it was, without my cognising the moment when certainty took hold. The will to know, however, took me no further. Chapter 2 The Thought Police, The Woodland Nymph and The Secret Atheists 1957-1959 The White Lady remained a presence. She was a presence who intimated, ineffably, that there was something I should know. Wordlessness. What was that? As a child, I discovered the fact that there's a certain gustatory experience that's not a taste. It's a feeling in the mouth, as if the oral cavity were like an eggshell. This makes no sense. But along with that oral experience, there's a sense of something that is about to be known. I have occasionally mentioned this experience to people throughout my life and a few people have said, oh yes, I get that, but very rarely. It is like a name that's forgotten, but one has it on the tip of one's tongue. When it is a forgotten name, of course, one has clues. There were no clues other than the white lady and occasional unaccountable dreams. These dreams were unusual, I discovered much later, in being quite linear in their, un in their unfoldment. I saw scenes with large tents, unlike other tents I had seen. One tent seemed to be made of tiger hides. It would achieve nothing to itemise what I saw, other than everything seemed to be occurring in Switzerland. I saw huge white birds. I saw and heard large ravens who appeared to have an extensive language that I couldn't fathom. There were two young girls who rode ferocious dogs. They seemed quite gleefully bereft of raiment under snow-capped mountains. I sometimes caught snatches of speech, but I could never recall what was said. Sometimes I would seem to wake up in the dream as someone who was at home in this environment, but had forgotten who the little English boy was. I was a young man. I had white hair, whereas everyone else had much darker skin and almost black hair. Sometimes I would enter a large white tent and sit with the white lady. It seemed that she was a queen, but she didn't dress like a queen. She seemed to be a queen in terms of what she was, 
rather than how she dressed. She had no crown and no jewels. She was simply powerful without being frightening. It seemed that whatever she asked would be carried out, but she never appeared to request anything. I had no comprehension as to how seeing such a wonderful being as the White Lady could lead to a person being sent to a mental hospital. But that is what my father had been saying for some time. Loud arguments between my mother and father occurred after I had gone to bed, and these worried me. His earlier intimations had become voluble exclamations. His force of expression started to make me anxious, as well as distressing my mother. My father had become increasingly belligerent in his vigilance concerning what I was thinking. He took to questioning me over meals. I tried to hide behind the toaster, but to no avail. Nothing deterred him. I tried to have food in my mouth as often as possible over meals, because it was known to be rude to speak with food in one's mouth. The problem was that I kept swallowing it and having to replace the food as quickly as possible. I started to put on weight at that point and to develop a stammer. Maybe there were just too many normal people and too many people who were too afraid of anything that was not sufficiently normal. Maybe it was these normal people who made the mental hospitals for people who were simply happy not to be normal. Maybe it was just too dangerous to live in a world where not being normal was reviled by most people. I'd heard about racism from my German grandmother, so maybe there were thought racists. My father was certainly an officer of the thought police. My mother would occasionally intervene when he questioned me too intensively, but it always led to arguments. The rows in the house seemed to increase and the situation started to feel like a pressure cooker, albeit lined with flock wallpaper. I decided that I really might be bound for a mental hospital and would therefore have to make some changes in order to save myself. The change would be extremely sad, but there seemed no choice. I tried shaking my head violently when I saw the white lady and eventually I saw her more rarely. I was sad that I stopped seeing her every night, but I needed to avoid being sent to a mental hospital. The white lady still appeared from time to time, but she appeared less and less until she appeared occasionally, only and finally in dreams. I was still a problem for my father in various other ways. Apart from my stammer, I had an artistic bent and that was always a worrying sign in a boy. I spent too much time drawing and painting 
and not enough time doing what boys were supposed to do. I showed no interest in sport. In fact, I loathed it. I could not see any value in competition. And he therefore suspected that I was effete, effeminate or homosexual. I had no idea what such words might mean, but worried in case they were further proof that I should be sent to a mental hospital. Dr Page, our family medical practitioner, thought I was an odd boy. Whether he confided this to my parents, I do not know. But when medical records eventually became available for viewing in Britain, I discovered his remark in my medical notes. An odd boy, 8th of September, 1957. Dr Page was a kindly fellow who reminded me somewhat of Mr Pastry, a television comedian of the time. He had wild white hair and round spectacles. He gave me a series of physical tests which revealed that I was vaguely ambidextrous or at least right-handed and left-footed. I was entirely inept at catching objects that were thrown toward me. Dr Page suspected that I could have some visual problem but this was never followed up. No one explained why I was subject to these tests and I never asked. I thought it was just the kind of thing that happened to all children and thus never discovered what was deemed to be wrong with me. Maybe I was tested because my father had confided his fears as to my sanity or lack thereof. Be that as it may, there were tests which involved choosing similar objects and placing them in groups. I was incapable of grouping objects, however, because it always seemed to me that each object could belong in a group with each of the other objects. I was questioned on my conceptual difficulties with grouping objects. When it was suggested to me that there was an obvious set of groups, I failed to see what was more or less obvious about other groupings. A wooden object could be placed with other wooden objects, or it could be placed with smooth objects, dark objects, pale objects, heavy objects or light objects. It was the same with the which one is the odd one out test. I'd look at the pictures and could think of a reason why each depicted creature could be the odd one out. Then it would be explained that it was obvious that it was the goldfish because it was a fish and all the others were land animals. But, I'd ask, couldn't it be the bat because it only comes out at night? Or the beetle because it's the smallest? Or the wolf because it's dangerous? Or the horse because it runs fastest? Dr Page did have the good grace to say that he could follow my thinking, but he still thought I ought to be able to see what was most obvious. No, 
I could not agree that one was more obvious than any of the others. I was an odd boy. I'd had a string of childhood illnesses, probably a few more than anyone's fair share. Mumps, measles, whooping cough, scarlet fever and chicken pox. I probably had poulet pox, goose pox, gander pox, turkey pox, duck pox, drake pox, mallard pox, grouse pox, pheasants, pheasant pox, quail pox and every other kind of pox. So school was merely an intermittent irritation for a certain period of time. I used to think that it wasn't actually compulsory and that one day it would cease. My frequent illnesses were another reason why my father encouraged my rambling. It will do the boy good to get some fresh air into his lungs, he told my mother. If he misses any more school, he will be good for nothing, if he's not good for nothing already. Oh, you must not say such things, Ernest. I say it, Renata, because it's true. But, Ernest, Victor is just a little boy. Many little boys are like this. Maybe in Germany, Renata, but this is England. Pause. And, in gentler tone, you do not know much of boys. I know all about boys, I can tell you. There was some truth in this, as he had had a son in a previous marriage. But whether this provided him with any great insight into boys must be left to be inferred. Boys can be a thoroughly bad lot if not watched. Boys need strict discipline, or they turn their lives to rack and ruin. I know all about these things. I have seen a lot in the army, you know. I have seen what happens when boys are not properly supervised and disciplined. They grow up to be depraved louts, criminals given to every type of depravity. That is how conversations often were with my father. He was right, everyone else was wrong. And what's more, they all knew they were wrong and persisted in their wrongness despite that knowledge. I heard snippets of that kind of discussion throughout my childhood and was actually not terribly disturbed by it in the end. I must have translated it in terms of the dreadful duo, my father and God. I was not wildly impressed by either of them. They did call most of the shots in life, but they seemed to have no sanction or power or power of veto in Wayflood Woods, which is where I spent the bulk of my time. Rambling in the woods was, therefore, the perfect way of avoiding my father and allaying his anxieties about my being odd. I'd become aware of the ominous brooding menace of God from an early age. He was responsible for all the misery on the planet, as far as I could see. God was continually smiting people when they annoyed him, and my father 
had clearly taken a leaf out of God's book.